Linda, thank you for sharing a wonderful testimony of God's grace. And ultimately, when we think about it, that's what it's all about. We have a God who loves us and, and who pours out His grace into our life, regardless of the situation sometimes we find ourselves in. Uh, just to, to think tonight as we begin, um, we have been going through, for those of you maybe this is your first time here, we've been going through and evaluating biblically the teachings of, of the prosperity, health, wealth, prosperity, word, faith movement. The intent of that, again, is not to prove ourselves right and to prove them wrong. is that we might continue to do what Paul uh, talked about in the book of Acts when he said the Bereans, what did they do? They searched the scriptures daily to find out whether or not what was said was being true. And Paul commended them, even when, though they were checking Paul out. And... Uh, Another reason that we would do this is, if you, some of you remember last year, we looked at some of the non-Christian faiths and what they teach, and, and it's also good for us to look within the, within the church body and see what's being taught. Tonight we do look at, as, as Linda uh, indicated, we are going to look at health, suffering, and sickness, or sickness and suffering. Let me put a couple qualifiers out here before we begin tonight. First of all, what we are not talking about tonight is whether God is able to heal. Without question. God can heal. Amen? Amen. Without question. It's not, not the issue tonight, whether God can heal. The other thing that's really not the issue tonight, it is an issue that we may have to look at in the future, but it's not the issue tonight. And what we're not looking at tonight is we're not talking about the stewardship of our bodies. It is an issue in the church that we really need to be dealing with. I don't need to work up on something on that. But we're not, we're, we're not talking so much about the stewardship of our body, so much about eating properly, so much about, you know, uh, taking care of our bodies. That is an issue. It's not tonight's issue. So keep those two things in mind as we go through this tonight, and I think that will keep us on track. Okay? Uh, so, by the way, before I go on any further... What I always tell you, you're to check out everybody who teaches, right? Amen. And if they say something that's not biblical, you are to ask them about it. And we had two lovely ladies who attacked me last week. After, no, they didn't attack me. <laughs> after They come up to me after service last week. They said, Pastor, you made a statement. And they were right. I made a statement that the Bible does not say that Judas is a thief. Well, let me encourage you uh, to go to John chapter 12, as they did. And you will see that the Bible actually calls Judas a thief. We were talking about wealth last week. So I appreciate those ladies for doing that and the spirit they did it in. And, uh, and uh, it again becomes the point, folks. The point is that we look to the Scripture. The Scripture is our final authority of truth. And, and, and anybody who speaks or anybody who shares, you should be able to evaluate what they're saying according to Scripture. And then... Bring it back to the script. I do appreciate that. And uh, we'll do church discipline on those ladies later on this year. No, I'm, just kidding. I'm just kidding. You know. All right, no. All right. I'm going to have you take your Bibles and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. As you're turning to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, it'll be on the screen also. But I want you to think with me. Is it God's will for everybody to be perfectly healthy? Is it God's will always for everybody to walk in perfect physical, physical health? Next question. Could God possibly use somebody who is not perfectly, physically healthy? Or is God restricted because of someone's infirmity that God cannot possibly use them? I bring these things up because you'll remember as we've gone through this this word faith teaching, one of the initial teachings we talked about was what we called the faith formula. That is, that if you administered certain, quote, faith formulas into your situation, whether, whether you're talking about uh, wealth or, or poverty or sickness, if you, if you apply these formulas of faith, then God is required to respond to you and to do what you've asked Him to do because God Himself is restricted or, how do I want to say it, uh, or actually limited, they even said, limited to, to respond only within the realm of faith. So could God use 
someone who has infirmities. Why would God use someone who has infirmities? If someone has infirmities and they are continuing and long-lasting, does that indicate that they have a lack of faith in God? Or that their, their faith is not strong enough? Or that maybe there's a sin in their life that has not been confessed? Or maybe there's a sin in their ancestor's life that has not been confessed? Maybe they haven't learned to appropriate the Scripture. We're going to deal with all of these things tonight. I want to throw out a name to you. She's not very popular when it comes to the Christian television and the word faith movement. And there's a reason why, and we'll talk about that tonight. Her name is Johnny Erickson Tata. And who she is in Christ stands as an affront to the theology of the health, wealth people. Who would tell you, if you just had enough faith, you don't have to be sick. If you just have enough faith, you don't have to suffer with cancer. If you had enough faith, you don't have to suffer with any infirmities. If you have enough faith, you could have your healing. And you can claim your healing today. I always think about it. Wow, Johnny Erickson Tata. I'm walking in pretty good health right now. It must be that I'm just more spiritual than Johnny Erickson Tata is. It's craziness. By the way, before we get into some of the teachings, it's interesting the vast number of the word faith teachers, especially as they've gotten older, who've had to go to hospitals and have surgeries to clear heart blockages, to deal with cancers. I mean, across the board, it's, it's just... And I'm thinking, wait a minute. Doesn't this work? I want to tell you something, church. It doesn't even work. It doesn't work in the spiritual realm. It doesn't even work in the practical realm. Now, again, I want to say that does God heal or can God heal? Yes, God does heal. Yes, God can heal. But not in response to some formula of faith where you almost constrain God to give you what you want because you've acted in some measure of faith that requires God to do for you what you want Him to do. Now, how many, would, how many of you would think that, that a guy by the name of Paul, he's an apostle, would you consider him to be a kind of a spiritual guy? Anybody here think he's kind of a spiritual guy? I think he's not only a spiritual, he's kind of an incredibly spiritual guy. Now, of course, Paul's not perfect. That's why he needed Jesus to save him from his sins. But here's a guy who left everything. Power, prestige, position, money, to follow Jesus. He gave it all up to follow Jesus. Here's a guy that God used to pray for the sick, and they were healed, right? Here's a guy that God used. Remember, Paul was kind of, here's why I think Paul had a little bit of Baptist in him anyways. Because you remember, he, was, he started preaching, he got carried away, he went all night. Uh, yeah. And there was this young guy that was sitting up in the, this way we don't have very many balconies in our churches, okay? Sitting up there in the balcony, remember what he did? He falls asleep and falls out of the balcony. Now, I gotta tell you, I've had people do the pew nod. I love the pew nod. You know what the pew nod is? And, and you, anybody remember that, that bird that you put in water and it, as it dips water, it goes like this? I'm just sitting there preaching away, and I, got, I can't take my eyes off this one lady, because she's doing a pew nod. And every time she goes, she goes a little bit more over, until finally the edge of the pew seat, boom! That is a wake-up call. It either wakes you up or knocks you out. Okay, so, we don't have balconies. But remember, this young man falls asleep, falls out of the balcony. He's dead. What does Paul do? Remember what Paul does? Paul goes there, and he lays upon this guy... And the guy is brought back to life. Now that's Paul. That's Paul. Who has proof of God using him to bring someone back to life. Now there's a lot of boasting, even in circles today, of, of resurrecting the dead and all these kind of things. So it was answer, you can't find these dead people. But there, there's all this kind of boasting that goes on. But Paul was a spiritual man. Everybody would agree with that, Right? All right, well, let's read about Paul. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, starting at verse 7. And here's Paul speaking. He says, Unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelation, a thorn 
in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted among above measure. So what's going on? Something has been given to Paul. We don't know what it is. There's all kinds of conjecture. But he makes it clear that it is a physical infirmity. A thorn in the flesh. So what does Paul do? Well, what does Paul do? Well, he does what we would probably do. Concerning these things, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. Anybody ever prayed for someone who's physically sick? Over, over, and over again. And nothing seems to happen. Nothing seems to change. Maybe things even get worse. Here's spiritual Paul who has raised from the dead, who has healed the sick. God has used it. Of course, God did those things. He used Paul to do them. But look at what God says to, to the Apostle Paul in verse 9. And he said to me, the Lord said to him, My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weaknesses. Now you're going to hear some quotes that speak contrary. How can God use a sick and firm body to glorify himself? He couldn't use that. Yet that's contrary to what Jesus actually told Paul. Paul says, it is my strength is made manifest in your weaknesses. goes on to say, therefore, here's Paul's attitude now. Therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecution, in distresses. For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. This passage just, just attacks the word faith theology. It leaves no room for it. Because Paul actually says, I will glory in my infirmities if it brings glory to God. And Jesus told him, Jesus told him, in your weaknesses, my strength will be made manifest. In what you're going through, I will show myself. So, with those things in mind as, as, as sort of a foundation, we're going to come back at the end tonight to the biblical response. So we're going to move very quickly through, through some of these thoughts uh, so that you have them. Again, what I've given you is some quotes. These are first-person quotes. These are not, again, what people have said, said about these groups. These are what they've said themselves. And I want to break this down for you. You, you think about this. I, I use, and again, I, I want to encourage, give credit to Hank Hanegraaff. He did a great job on, on a lot of this, and, and, and the breakdown is borrowed from Hank himself. Uh, so I used his breakdown. I put in my own kind of words here. So he begins by talking about, when you talk about sickness and suffering, he starts with the symptoms, symptoms and sickness. Now, he, the point of this one is this. And let me just break that. The word faith theology teaches that Christians who are, under the, who are under the covenant of Christ should never be sick. Now hear that. Those Christians who are under the covenant of Christ should never be sick. In other words, part of the covenant that you and I are under guarantees our health. Not only guarantees our salvation, but guarantees our health. And in a little while we're going to talk about one of the key verses that they use. By his stripes we are healed. And we're going to break that down in just a little bit. But, but let's, let's hear what they said. What they say about this. That we are under this covenant and we should not be sick because G, part of the redemptive work of Christ. Here's what it means by that. Part of the work, redemptive work of Christ is that Christians should never be sick. And again, if we're sick and Christian, then we have not received the fullness of Christ's redemptive work upon the cross. We haven't received the fullness of this covenant. So we start with a man by the name of Jesse Duplantis. And uh, he's a pretty popular speaker. And here's what he says. People ask me all the time, Brother Jesse, I've been watching you for years and I've never seen you sick. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I use the evidence that God has given me against the devil when he tries to put sickness on me. You know what I say? Jesus, take off your shirt. This is really sacrilegious to me. but Jesus, take off your shirt. He go, that's Jesus, he go, what? I say, take off your shirt, Jesus. And Jesus takes off his shirts, and I tell the devil, You see them stripes? By those stripes, I'm healed. I got the evidence that I'm healed. Glory to God, hallelujah. It ain't got nothing to do with feeling it. It ain't got nothing to do... It got nothing to do with me feeling it. It's got everything to do with Jesus' back. So all of you gotta, all, so all you got, gotta do is stand up and say, I got the evidence that I'm healed before I ever got sick. So 
So when sickness comes against him, what he says is, basically, Jesus, take off your shirt, show the devil your back, the stripes on your back. He's trying to apply the Isaiah 53 verse, and we'll talk about that in a moment. And, and with the application of the Isaiah 53 verse, he's saying, by the stripes that you see on Jesus' back, I have my healing, so devil be gone. There's a lot of irreverence here for one thing. Okay? There's a lot of misapplication of Scripture here for another thing. It is contrary to what the Scripture teaches. Let's read on. Kenneth Copeland. You have a covenant with Almighty God, and one of your covenant rights is the right to a healthy body. So again, it goes back. The covenant thing. Jesus died on the cross, not only for your eternal life and the forgiveness of your sin, but that your body would be healthy. You have a right to a healthy body. Next one. Benny Hinn. The Bible declares that the work was done 2,000 years ago. God is not going to heal you now. He healed you 2,000 years ago. All you have to do today is receive your healing in or by faith. Okay, now you... The implication of that we talked about before, that faith formula, the applying that faith formula into your, into your health situation, and if you properly do that, then God will heal you because it took place some 2,000 years ago on the cross. Well, let's look at the last one, Kenneth Hagin. Real faith in God, heart faith, believes the Word of God regardless of what the physical evidences may be. A person seeking healing should look to God's word, not to his symptoms. He should say, I know that I am healed because the word says that by his stripes I am healed. Point. The word faith people teach that you have a covenant promise from God that you are healed from all physical infirmities. And so that if you have any physical infirmities, especially any continual continuing physical infirmities, somehow you are not applying faith in your life to appropriate what has been given to you by Jesus Christ. And you need to work on your faith. I want to tell you what this does. I mean, this this actually moves to the place of cruelty if you think about it. For godly people who love Jesus and who have faith in Jesus, who put their life in his hands, and yet will not receive, quote, their healing from God. I'm going to give you an example of this. And I've shared this with you before. And I'll just use a lady who's with Jesus right now. She's my pastor's wife when I was growing up. My pastor and his wife are both with the Lord right now. But Connie Reed, beautiful voice, sang sang songs to Jesus and loved the Lord deeply. She, She got the breast cancer. And she went through all the, the processes and, and through the chemo. Chemo back then, which was in the late 70s, was quite, quite hard. And uh, went through the mastectomy and had that removed. But the cancer would not leave her body. And they did everything we do as Christians. And in obedience to her, we, she was anointed with the oil. She was prayed over. Uh, uh, she was, uh, the church went before God on her behalf and just called out to God on her behalf. Well... The day came when she succumbed to the to the to the to the cancer, and she she passed away. So-called well-meaning Christian people in that church went up to my pastor and said, "You know, there must have been some sin in her life, or you must have had a lack of faith because she wasn't healed." I, for one, see that as as being as cruel as you can possibly be. So what you end up doing is you end up blaming the victim of a disease for the disease they find in their body. And if they just had enough faith, or if they just applied it properly, they wouldn't have to suffer that faith. Or maybe, again, there was some sin in their life, some unconfessed sin, and because of unconfessed sin in their life, uh, they got what they, basically they got what they deserved. They should have died from the cancer. Or at least they should have confessed their sin. One of the two. It's an incredible thing what we do sometimes to other professing believers. So what do you do when you have all the faith that you can have? What do you do when you give all the faith that you can possibly give? What do you do when you apply every scripture for healing? What when you lay hands on, when you anoint with oil, when you do all these things? 
And you claim every promise you find in the scripture, and yet healing does not come. Well, if you're one of the remaining people, one or two things are going to happen. You're either going to spend the rest of your life filled with guilt because maybe you didn't have enough faith. Or you can spend the rest of your life blaming God. Because you did everything God said to do. And God didn't respond the way that God should have. So God isn't God. He's not a loving God. He's not a caring God. He's not what he promised he would be. And so you're left with walking away even from God. It's an incredible hurt that's brought into the body of Christ with this kind of aberrant theology concerning the healing. Paul, God's man, prayed three times. God says, basically, Paul, I will not heal you, but I will pour my grace into your life, and my grace will be sufficient for you. So sufficient that even in your weaknesses, Paul, my strength will be manifest. And then Paul says, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Because... I will even glory in my infirmities if it brings glory to your name. We are not under a covenant promise, and I'll deal with this as we talk about the Bible. We are not under a covenant promise that promises physical healing, church. That's a bad application of Scripture. Let's go to the second thing, though. Second thing. Satan in sickness. Satan in sickness. Word, faith, theology teaches that Satan is behind all sickness and is given authority by the believer to bring sickness when the believer speaks words of fear rather than words of faith. Now, we talked a little bit about this when we we dealt with the faith thing, that you never proclaim a negative confession because if you proclaim a negative confession, you speak negative things into your life. Okay? So the word, faith, teaches that teach that Satan is behind all sickness. I want to tell you, I don't believe the Bible teaches that Satan is behind all sickness. Do I believe that there are occasions where Satan is behind sickness? I do. I don't believe all sickness is a result of people's sin. Do I believe that there are sicknesses and illnesses in our life sometimes that are a result of our disobedience to God? I do. Sometimes our choices bring these things into our life. But listen to me. There are some things that you cannot explain. Sicknesses that are not a result of an attack of Satan. Sicknesses that are not a result of, of a bad choice that you made. Maybe you've ate properly, you've done properly, you, you haven't bought anything in your life, and, and you still have some sicknesses. Sicknesses can also just be a result because you live in a sin-fallen world. And it rains on the just and the unjust. Christians have cancer. Non-Christians have cancer. But the word of faith teaches that all sickness is a result of Satan's attack. And we allow Satan that place in our life because we speak words of fear rather than words of faith. Remember, to the word of faith people, words are containers of power. They contain power. So if you speak positive, faith-filled words, you release positive, faith-filled power into your life. If you, if you speak negative words, then you speak negativity into your life. So, with that in mind... Here are a couple of quotes here. Kenneth Hagin. Every, everybody healed under the ministry of Jesus was oppressed by the devil. The devil is behind all sickness. There is no such thing as a separation of sickness and disease from Satan. He is just wrong. He's just wrong. The second quote from Kenneth Copeland. You have betra- been trained since birth, to speak negative, death-dealing words. Unconsciously, in your everyday conversation, you you use words of death. Sickness, lack, fear, doubt, and unbelief. That scared me to death. That tickled me to death. I laughed until I thought I would die. I'm I'm just dying to go. That makes me sick. I'm sick and tired of this mess. I believe I'm taking the flu. You say these things without even realizing. This is what he says. When you do... You set into motion negative forces in your life and the fire blazes. Your words loose the power of Satan. When I read that, I have to giggle a little bit too. Except for the poor unfortunate souls who believe this. Who believe this, you know, I'm scared to death. Have you ever said I'm scared to death? 
You ever said you're sick of a situation? You're not sick, speaking sickness into your, into, your, into your life. You're not speaking death in your life. But remember this. You've got to go back to what we... This all sort of builds on itself. When you go back to a, a belief system that words are the containers of power. And that you have the creative power within you, just like God had the creative. Remember God when He cre- remember what they said? God when He created what is, He spoke faith-filled words to create what is. And you have the same capability as God. And when you speak words, you release either faith-filled words in your life or you, you, you speak words of death into your life. Okay? Let me, let me, uh, look at another, another quote here. I believe this quote is from, it is from, from Frederick K.C. Price. Here's what he said. It says, how can you glorify God in your body when it doesn't function right? How can you glorify God? How can he get glory when your body doesn't even work? What makes you think the Holy Ghost wants to live inside a body where he can't see through the windows and hear through the ears? What makes you think the Holy Spirit wants to live inside a physical body where the limbs and the organs and the cells do not function right? And what makes you think he wants to live in a temple where he can't see out the eyes and he can't walk with the feet and he can't move with the hand? The the eyes... That, that he has are, that, that are in the earth realm are the eyes that are in the body. He can't see out of them, excuse me, if he can't see out of them, then God, then God's gonna be limited. This is just so bad. It's so bad and sad. It's incredible. But it goes back to this thought that God is actually held captive by his own church. Remember, this is the same guy who said, God cannot do anything in the earth realm except that you speak it. And when you speak it, then you allow God to work. But until you speak it, God is not even allowed to work in the earth realm until, until you speak it. You release God to speak it. This is so man-centered. It ought to just be breaking your heart. But also, when you, when you read this, this, this is really incredible. As we, we talk. So God can't use a blind person? God can't use a deaf person. God can't use a... I don't know if you... There, there's a guy... I don't even know his name. I've just seen him on, on, on the internet. He has no He was born with no arms and no legs. I think he just got married. Okay? He has no arms and no legs. And they bring him into churches. And, and I understand, even what I've heard on it, his testimony is just tremendous. How does God use a man who can't walk when... When we're his feet like this, or, or, or with no with no arms, Dick huh? Dick yeah. Yeah. What's it? Dick, Nick, Boychuk. Okay, it's, it's just an incredible thing. Let me just ask you this: Out of the realm of sickness right now, aren't you glad as a believer that God is not limited to your faith? Aren't you glad as a believer that God is not limited to what you can see and what you can understand, what you can conceive and what you think needs to be done? Can you even think about a time in your life when you prayed little and God did something big? That God answered beyond your your prayer? If God is limited to just what you say, then we would be in a sorry state. Would you agree? All right. So Satan is the one who brings sickness upon all people. Well, let's go on to the next thing. Sin, sin and sickness. Now, here's where sin comes in. Where the faith theology of necessity teaches that our sickness is a result of sin. And I want to tell you, in the big scheme of things, you could, you could, you could build a theological argument that sickness is a result of sin. That is, that in perfection, before there was the fall of man... There was no sickness. There was no death. So we understand that. We also understand that we can abuse and misuse our body in disobedience to God and that can result in sickness that we brought on ourselves. And in that way we could actually say it's sin. But that's really not what they're talking about. They're talking about that, that the result of... The reason you have sickness is because there is some unconfessed sin in your life. 
And not so much a sin of abusing by eating wrong or, or taking substances that you ought not to. But, but some hidden sin in there that you haven't done. So God is going to punish you by sickness because you have some hidden sin in your life. Uh, let me give you a couple of quotes here. It says, uh, the religious idea that, that God chastises his own with sickness and disease and poverty is the very thing that has caused a church to go 1,500 years without the knowledge of the Holy Spirit. That's kind of a, an interesting statement that Kenneth Copeland would make there. Fifth, does anybody in here actually believe that the, that the church went 1,500 years, the true church went 1,500 years without any knowledge of the Holy Spirit? Okay. So what's he saying? The reason that the church never... He's, he's talking about an age that led up to the Azusa Street revivals when supposedly the Holy Spirit came in a big way upon the church because the Holy Spirit was pushed aside for, he would say, centuries. Okay, And the church had been sick and there had been infirmities in the church and there were no healings in the church and all these kind of things were not happening in church. And the reason they weren't happening is because of the sin in the church of rejecting the Holy Spirit. And so there was sickness and there was illness and there was death and all these kind of things. Okay, that's his inference. That's the, 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 what he's trying to say here. Well, we read on. He said, uh, Benny Hinn says, If your body belongs to God, it cannot belong to sickness. And what he's saying here again, if you have, if you have, if you're living your life for God, and there's no sin in your life, then you're, there will be no sickness in your life. Goes back again, again, back to that, the covenant that Christ accomplished upon the cross. Okay? Which not only washes away your sin, but washes, they're, they're tied together. That's the point. Sin and sickness are tied together. Alright? God intends, Kenneth Copeland, God intends for every believer to live completely free of sickness and disease. It is up to you to decide whether you will or not. Okay? So if you're sick, it's your fault. And so you're being disobedient to God. And in your disobedience to God, you have sickness in your body. All right, let's look at the last one here. Boy, my time is around. Let's talk about the sovereignty. Your pastor is one who believes in the sovereignty of God. You know, you know what I mean by that, hopefully. I mean, God doesn't answer to anybody about anything. He doesn't have to. If someone says, do you believe God can do I say, God can do anything God wants to do. And he didn't ask for my approval about it. And he doesn't need my approval about it. Okay? Well, again, in the word faith movement, the truth is there is no such thing as a sovereign God. Because God himself is required to respond, remember, to the faith-filled words that you use. And he's also limited to whether or not you apply those faith-filled words. Word faith teachers teach clearly... uh, that the will of man is, when the will of man is demonstrated, it overrides the will of God. Now, I want you to just hear how this is done. Let me just, these quotes are just incredible to me. Can I ask you, who, who is the greatest example in the scripture who prayed something like this? If it be your will, not my will, Father, but your will be done. Anybody have an idea who, who used words like that? Who? Would anybody in here, along with me, say that Jesus was a kind of a spiritually right kind of guy? I, you say, I, that even bothers me to put it that way. But it's just absurd. Jesus never sinned. But I want you to hear some of these quotes. It says, Starting with um, Rod Parsley. It says, Where there is doubt concerning the will of God, faith very simply cannot exist. I used to pray these words, If it be thy will for healing, before I read and believed God's word. Since I was a good Christian boy, I would get on my knees like many of you, and I'd pray, Oh God, I thought for many years that God's first name was O. Oh God. If it is your will to heal this person, do you know what my doubtful, my doubt-filled prayers produce? Seven members of my immediate family died within 18 months. You know, the the knack for hyperbole by these preachers 
It's just so irritating to me. I don't know. Maybe because I'm a pastor. It's just so irritating to me. I, I would like to see the death records of seven of his people in 18 months. Now, that's just me. He goes on to say, I practically grew up in a funeral home listening to preacher after preacher explain how it is God's will that another flower was picked for the bouquet of heaven. Let's settle the matter once and for all. God doesn't want you sick. Says Rod Parsley. Every person is going to die. Save that Jesus Christ come back and rapture us. These bodies were not meant forever. Has anybody besides me, and I like to ask these kind of questions, notice that your body's getting weaker and weaker? I mean, it's just not doing what it used to do. I find myself pretty... I play basketball with some of the guys on, on Thursday. I, I wouldn't call what I do now, if I was looking at 20 years ago, play basketball. I kind of just stand there. You know. It just doesn't move the way it used to move. It doesn't do. We age. Our bodies wear out. They're not meant for eternity. Matter of fact, when the Bible talks about eternity, he says, it says we get to put off these old things. They're going to be gone. And we get a glorified body that's meant for eternity, where there is no more sickness, no more dying, no more saying goodbye. Praise God. And Linda talked about <coughs> her dad. And, and, you know, no more pain. And the day's going to come when he's going to have that glorified body. Not only Linda's dad, my dad and many of your dads and, and friends, you know, it's, it's an amazing promise that we've been given to God. But it's not given here on the earth. We will die on this earth. Our bodies will deteriorate here on this earth. Now, we ought to take good care and be good stewards of what we have, what God has given it to us. But none of us are going to live forever. And everybody that was healed by Jesus, they died. When's the last time you saw a 2,000-year-old man? <laughs> Even Lazarus was raised from the dead. He's still not walking around. Sometime later, Lazarus died. Let's, let's go on. Benny Hinn, never, ever go to the Lord and say, if it be thy will. Wow. Don't allow such faith-destroying words to be spoken from your mouth. When you pray, if it be your will, Lord, faith will be destroyed. That will build up and flood your being. Be on your guard against words like this, which will rob you of your faith and drag you down in despair. Those are the very words of Jesus. One day he's going to stand before Jesus and give an account for teaching such things as this. This is incredible. And the reality is, I want you to understand, just the opposite is true. Just the opposite is true because people said, oh, I'm going to listen to what Brother Benny says and I will never say, Lord, if it's your will. Lord, basically, Lord, I trust you with my life. I trust you with my future. I trust you with my health. But I want to speak truth to you, God. I want to speak faithful words. And God, you basically, you have to heal me. And I want to tell you, it's, it's that kind of approach that destroys faith. Because when God doesn't act the way we think He ought to act, when He doesn't respond the way that we want Him to respond, when God chooses in His sovereignty that you and I might walk in infirmities the same way He chose for Paul to walk in those infirmities, and it doesn't work the way the faith teachers tell me it should work, that doesn't build my faith, it tears it down. But you know, I think it's a dem- I personally think it's different. I think it's a demonstration of faith for me actually to say, Lord, I'm going to respond to you whatever comes. If it is your will for me to go through this, Lord, then you're God. Glory be to your name. I will trust you, like Job said. Remember, many of these guys find Job to be one of the greatest failures in the Bible. Like Job said, though he slay me, I will praise his name. All right, last, last quote. If you say, excuse me, if you have to say, if it be thy will or thy will be done, then you're calling God a fool. I told many times that I've done quotes here, I've told you that these quotes have crossed the line into blasphemy. And here is a quote by Frederick Price that crosses into blasphemy. To call God a fool? 
And actually, if you think about it, he's saying that the son called the father a fool. Because those are the very words of Jesus. It's incredible. To quote the very words of Jesus and to say to apply them destroys faith and to apply them is to call God a fool. Incredible. What's a biblical response to sickness? Well, there's no way we can talk about the whole thing here, but let me let me just give you some of these some of these some of these passages real quick. We we read Second Corinthians chapter chapter twelve and verse seven. I've, I've already talked about that. What did Paul say? Paul sought the Lord in his sickness. Paul prayed to God to to relieve him of his sickness. God responded to Paul and said, "Paul, it is my will for you that my grace would be sufficient for you, and I will not remove this infirmity from your body." And remember, Paul's the one who saw infirmities removed from many bodies. Okay? And Paul's response was, Okay, Lord, I trust you. And I will glory in you even in my infirmities. The second verse that we deal with, and that's Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 5. And in that one, you're probably familiar with it, you'll see it on the screen. It says, But he was wounded for our transgression, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Now, context, context, context. Everything in that verse has to do with our spiritual being. Nothing in that verse, unless you want to just grab that last little phrase there and take it completely out of context, has to do with our physical body. Okay? The word that's used there is rapha. The Hebrew word is rapha for healing. And most times in the Old Testament, the word rapha is used in reference to spiritual healing. Okay? Now, if that's not good enough for you, let's go take it to the next verse there, please, Carol. Jeremiah 3, 3.22. He says, Return you backsliding children, and I will heal, Rapha, your what? Backsliding. It has nothing to do with the healing of the body. It has to do with their spiritual walk, right? All right? He says, Indeed, we do come to you, for you are the Lord your God. Now, let's go to the New Testament, where Peter, the apostle, actually quotes Isaiah chapter 53. And here's what Peter says. Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes we were, we were healed. Has nothing whatsoever to do with the body. Has everything to do with our redemption. We are made right. We are, we are made right with what Christ did upon the cross. There's not a guarantee. There's not a new covenant on the cross that Christians, believers, will never be sick again. The promise is that the cross, the finished work of Christ upon the cross, would bring our healing, our spiritual healing. We would be made right with God. That's the promise that's used there. That's what Isaiah is talking about in Isaiah chapter 53. There is no indication at all, except for a misapplication of the word, by his stripes we are healed, that he's talking about anything physical at all in the whole chapter for us. But talking about our redemption. Context, context, context. You say, Pastor, does Rafa ever have to do with physical healing? Yes, it does. When it's talking about physical healing. Context means everything. The next verse, John chapter 9 and verse 3. And this kind of deals with, with some, of the, some of the things that we've looked at today. Uh, John chapter 9, verse 3. You got that one up there? Uh, let, me, let me turn to that. You remember in this passage what was going on. There's a man who was born blind. You remember what the disciples' question was? This kind of ties to that if you're sick, it's because you're a sinner type theology. There's a man who was born blind. Remember what the apostles' question was? Lord, was it his parents who sinned? Or was it him? Now remember, he was born blind. Kind of makes you wonder, how did he sin? But look at Jesus' answer. Jesus answered and said, Neither this man nor his parents sinned. Could that, does that settle it for you? All sickness is not a result of sin. All sickness is not an attack of Satan. Neither one of those things are even... Well, Jesus makes it clear it's not a result of sin. 
And, and there's nothing to infer that this is a result of Satan attacking this, this, this man. He was born blind. So those statements that all sickness is a result of sin or all sickness is a result of an attack of Satan, Jesus is going to set that straight right here. Look at what he said. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the work of God should be revealed in him. And that kind of deals with the sovereignty of God, doesn't it? Jesus said this man was born blind so that today you might see the work of God in him. In other words, God is going to... God is going to be glorified in this man. How does God choose to glorify himself in this man? Certainly to bring healing the guy could see and stuff. But my point here, and the point of the scripture, his sickness was not a result of sin, nor was his sickness a result of an attack of Satan. His sickness was actually a result of the sovereignty of God in his life. Could God ever bring sickness on someone to glorify himself? Okay? All right. I want you to look at the model prayer. Matthew chapter 6, verse 10. Now this deals with the, the passages where, where they, where, or the quotes where it says, You should never pray, Lord, if it be your will. Now we already talked about how Jesus prayed that way in the garden. But when his disciples said, Lord, would you teach us how to pray? We need to know how to pray. Look at Matthew chapter 6 and verse 10. He said, Your kingdom come, and what's the next part? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, he taught them to pray for the will of God. Not their own will. Not to replace God's will with their will. But to say, Lord, it's your will. It is a demonstration of faith. To me, a strong demonstration of faith when we say, Lord, we desire for your will to be done. Does any, can any of you tell me, in, when it comes to praying for sick, when it comes to pray for, for different things, that you always know the perfect will of God in every one of those situations? And I would say to you, unless you know the perfect will of God. Now, could the Holy Spirit give you insight to say, I want to heal this person, you pray for them? He could. Be very careful when we assert ourselves to the place of knowing the will of God in every situation. It is not the will of God that everybody be perfectly healed. I demonstrated that with Paul. All right, let's look at the last one. Psalm 119, 71 and 75. And I want to close with this because it really speaks to our attitude about this. It really does speak to our attitude about this. When we talk about these things, it says, look look what the psalmist said in verse 71. He says, It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. Wow. That's an incredible statement. It is good for me to go through this. Because what does it do? It reveals to me your truth in my life, Lord. And then the last verse, verse 75, same, same chapter says, I know, Lord, that your judgments are right, and that in faithfulness you have, you have afflicted me. Wow. Only Satan brings sickness, right? Only Satan brings affliction, right? Somehow Satan has, remember the word faith, somehow Satan has one, one authority in this world and God is restricted because Satan has one that authority. So Satan has actually sovereignty over God in this world. Unless you speak faith-filled words to overcome Satan so that God can act in your life and bring forth what you have told God that you want him to bring forth in your life. Incredible. For the last several weeks, we've looked at these incredible statements. These are damaging statements to people's faith. Much of them have nothing to do with biblical faith. Many of them are blasphemous against God. And many of them reveal that many of these teachers don't even know the Lord. Including when they talk, we talk about redemption, when they would say such things as that Jesus was born again in hell. That he suffered in hell. That he's a first born again man. That you could also do what Jesus did if you had enough faith. That, that you could have died for people's sin. It's, a, it's just incredible. Heresy across the board. It's not Christian faith at all. But it's all sort of packaged within the Christian church. And unfortunately there are many people who are listening to it. 
Next week, we're going to go outside of the word faith movement to another movement that's gaining a lot of strength in the church today, and that is the progressive Christianity. It's not Christianity at all. But it's being, again, taught in many churches today to the place where you have people who claim to be Christian, claim to be Christian, a type of Christian, and they can deny such truths as the virgin birth of Jesus. They can deny the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They can deny the deity of Jesus Christ and still be Christians. It's incredible. So, pray for next week. Pray for each other as you walk in this world today. Remember that our final authority is God's word. It's not anybody's interpretation of God's word. It's not anybody's understanding of God's word. It's God's word. And we need to apply his truth into every aspect of life. Be very careful of those who are deceivers, who will use scripture just enough to prove their point. And remember that the enemy of our souls was very good at doing that, using just enough scripture to prove his point. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your love for us. Thank you for the opportunity for us to be here tonight. Thank you for your truth. And you promise us that we should know the truth and the truth will set us free. And, Father, we may not understand always why people we love and and people we care about have to go through many of the things that they have to go through, including sicknesses. We may not understand that. We, we, We confess we don't understand your will in all of these things. But here's what we do know because you told us you love us. And you're always working in our life out of love. And so, Lord, we we say to you from our lips, Father, use us any way that you desire to glorify yourself. And then, Lord, we pull back when when you want to use us in a way that we don't really want you to. Help us to have genuine biblical faith that we would be responsive and receptive of however you want to work in our life, that your name might be glorified and that more and more people may come to faith and to know you as their personal Savior. Let us walk in you this week, Lord. Glorify yourself in us however you choose to. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.